episode 136 of the Pilot the Pilot Podcast takes off now. I'm Andrea Schultz. I am a first officer on the Embraer 170 based out of Chicago. AV Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot Podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. This intro is going to be short and sweet, mainly because I've recorded probably 30 to 40 of these and I messed up each one. So now I'm just going to keep it short and sweet. Today's podcast is with Andrea Schultz. She is a current regional airline pilot. She has gone from the, the love of aviation originally. She stepped away from aviation and now she is back. Find out in this podcast what that process was like and the exact moment that she decided she needed to get back into aviation and how she went about it, especially after taking a couple of years off. Aviation, I hope you enjoy this episode. If you do, please leave us a review on iTunes. You can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash pilot or you can check out the new swag we have. We have some camo hats. We have some dad hats. We are probably going to get a new sticker here shortly. Uh, someone reached out to me about a really cool idea for a sticker, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to keep the details really low on that one, but it should be pretty sweet. But Aviation, those are all the channels that you can support us. If you just want to follow us, that is amazing too. Follow us on Instagram at pilot the pilot. But like I said, this is short and sweet. So without any further ado, here's Andrea Schultz. Andrea, what's going on? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. And not much. How are you? I'm doing really good. Thank you. Uh, it's we're both like we talked about before we started recording. We are recording this over Skype, but we both live what five miles away from each other. Yeah, something like that. That's crazy. There's a lot of Chicago aviators out there. Granted, because Chicago is such a huge base for a regional and major airline, but it's it's always funny running into another pilot in the city. Like you, but Chicago too. Oh, cool. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't watched your YouTube video, but it'll be, it'll be kind of cool. Cause, uh, I've, I still haven't done the whole GA pass downtown yet. Even oh, though you gotta do it. That was the first time I've ever done it. And it's awesome. It's definitely a lot of fun and we should probably, we'll, we'll just quit the podcast right now and then you'll go watch it and then we'll come back. I'm just kidding. <laughs> right. Yeah. Sounds <laughs> <Just> good. <kidding. laughs> so Andrea, go ahead and tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me, uh, why aviation? What was your original inspiration to get into the aviation industry? Oh gosh. Um, I honestly, I blame Top Gun, but I, I don't know if that's the, that's the sole reason. Um, I do remember some of my earliest, earliest memories were wanting to fly F-18s off of carriers. Um, and, uh, got did so many things. I mean, when I say earliest memories, I'm talking like I was 12, maybe. Um, so playing as a little kid doing all that sort of stuff. Um, my parents, I think eventually realized that this wasn't a phase and it wasn't going to go away. Uh, so they started enabling me. I got uh flight sim at 95 or 98 as a Christmas present and played that for hours and hours and hours still kind of use flight sim partly for fun and partly for professional development um to this day just loved everything that flew and uh eventually went to school for it uh, at the university of north dakota and um yeah graduated in 2008 right into the middle of the great recession and got out of flying for a little while and 
got sick of warehouse life and decided, you know what, I'm going to go get my CFI renewed and the rest is history. Um, what did you think about the new Microsoft Flight Simulator? Have you got a chance to play it yet and compare it to those sweet graphics I, that were on uh, 1995? <laughs> I haven't gotten to play it yet. Uh, my computer is uh, the better part of a decade old, so it uh, it barely runs FSX right now, uh, especially with all the add-ons that I have. So I'm right now trying to scrounge up the money to build a whole new <laughs> a whole new computer to run it. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like I'm you and I are probably the only two people that haven't had a chance to fly on it yet and play around with it yet. A friend of mine sent me a text. He's already playing it. He's he's just a lawyer and he was just messing around with it. He's like, "Is this what flying's really like?" That's really funny. From what I heard, it's it's pretty cool. It's pretty accurate. The graphics are great. So, uh it should be fun. We'll see. Yeah. What um getting back into your story a little bit what so you mentioned that pretty much like as as far back as you can remember you wanted to be a pilot were there any uh, influences in your family from that were there any previous generations of pilots or anyone else like have a, a just this idea that you could go fly or were you the first one in your family? I remember my grandfather had um, he had at least started his private pilot certificate training. Um, he, he showed me his logbook, but he never really got very far in it. Um, and that was, that was about it. Um, after I got a little more serious into it, got into high school and was kind of talking about it, uh, seriously, my dad had kind of reached out to a couple people, um, that he knew and got me connected with, uh, with somebody who, who became a great mentor. And that was, that was kind of probably the, the little bit of, influence that pushed me over the edge to like, yeah, maybe I do want to do this as a career. Um, so, so yeah, I, it wasn't anybody in my family, but my family definitely did help to encourage it. When you, when your family finally realized, or even the first time when they kind of had a, an idea that you wanted to be a pilot, were they kind of against it at all? Or were they all for it? Like, no, you want to be a pilot, go for it. Like, let's make this happen. Uh, I, I don't think they were really against it. I think they were cautioning me that it was going to cost a lot of money and they wanted to make sure that I knew this going in. Um, which I think I did. I just didn't quite realize the gravity of how much money it cost because when you're 16, money's not quite real yet. Um, but, but they, they didn't discourage it. They just wanted to make sure that I, I understood the realities of it. And, and I think I do more now, um, looking back, but at the time, um, yeah, it was, it was definitely a, um, you sure you want to do this? Like, okay, we'll make it happen, but just know that it's not going to be easy. We'll get kind of deep right now, but go and look at where the industry is now. Looking back, if you could get a time machine and you can go back and talk to your 16-year-old self, would you still want to do this career? Would you still go down this path? Uh, oh, wow, that's deep. Um, <laughs> would I still want to do this? I think yes. Um, there, I've definitely had, especially since March, had a couple days where just sitting on the balcony, I live right under the, the final approach for two eight center at O'Hare. So I'm just sitting on the balcony, watching all the planes go by and thinking, 
do I really want to go back to this? Like, do I really want to go back to this, this instability and all of this, you know, every 10 years, something new comes up and, and yeah, I think, I think I would tell them that I would tell 16 year old me that, yeah, it would be, it's, it's not going to be an easy road. It's not going to be a linear road. Um, there's definitely going to be lots of twists turns, unpaved sections, uh, chunks of missing road that you have to find a way around. Um, but in the end, um, it's, it's definitely, definitely worth it. Yeah. This career is weird. It's a, it's, there's really not much I can compare it to and talking with other people and like when it's good, it's great. Like nothing really can beat it. It's, it's amazing. You know, you have so much fun get to fly, get to go out, go see the world a little bit. You get to do so many cool things. And then when it's bad, it's like one of the worst industries you could ever imagine. Uh, and and still where it is right now, like pay-wise, it's still better than what it was 10 years ago. So at least we Definitely. have that going for us. So we're not like making minimum wage anymore, but it's still like the emotional stress on it. And I was actually thinking about this the other day and it's kind of like your identity is a pilot. And when you get furloughed and they're taking that identity away from you, like, well, your friends know you as a pilot. You know yourself as a pilot. It's like it kind of strips away your whole identity and who you are. And you're kind of left sitting there for the next year or two with like, all right, well, who am I? You know, it goes real deep from yeah. just a job to what am I? Who am I? What am I doing? You know? Yeah, it's it's definitely, I have a lot of friends who, you know, oh, have you flown anywhere interesting lately? And I had about two months where I was just on reserve and wasn't getting called. And people are like, you know, oh, how's work? And I was like, I wish I knew. Um, so it's, yeah, it's definitely, uh, it definitely goes deeper than just just a job. We like to joke that, you know, oh, it's just a job. I'm not that awesome. But it's 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 more than just a job. Absolutely. It definitely is. It's your life. It's your livelihood. It's who you are. It's what you, you think about daily and consumes you. So it's definitely more than a job. I want to take it back a little bit more to your story. We can talk more about that later. But um, so you said that your dad introduced you to one of his friends who became a mentor to you. What was it like having a mentor? And you kind of mentioned it already that if without him or without her, I don't know if it was a him or her, you probably might not be where you are today. So how important is it to have a mentor and what was it like having one? Uh, it was, it was extremely important. Um, I remember uh, this would have been probably about my junior year, maybe senior. Uh, my dad had talked about, you know, he he knew this person. Um, he didn't know exactly what he did, uh, which airplane he flew at NetJets, but he, he knew somebody from NetJets, which is a name that I had known because I'd been researching a little bit about what I had wanted to do. Um, so I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go meet him. So we, we drove out to Columbus. Um, we met him at NetJets headquarters uh, for for breakfast, and he introduced himself. He's like, "Hi, I'm Randy. I'm captain on a BBJ." And back when NetJets had the BBJs, they had maybe six of them or so. And uh, and so he we had breakfast, talked about flying for a bit. He kind of told me a little bit about what his daily life was like, and then we went and we toured the hangar, and I got to see. A lot of the the behind the scenes stuff. I think I got to walk through dispatch and all that sort of stuff. Um, and 
it just grew from there. We had flown, we flew together to a couple air shows. Um, he, I think he popped into my graduation party. Um, and, and that sort of thing. He was, he was the first guy. I called him after I soloed for the first time, uh, instead of calling my parents. <laughs> uh, I think my parents were third on the list. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but no, it was, it was great. Um, and it was, it was definitely, uh, something not only to have, you know, somebody to kind of push me in the right direction, but somebody to talk to, um, a little bit. Unfortunately he did pass while I was in the middle of flight training. Um, but, uh, it was, it was really great to have somebody to, you know, Hey, I'm trying to figure out this sort of thing. Do you have any techniques? And, and Randy had been flying for at that time, probably twice as long as I had been alive. Um, and so, you know, I, it was nice to have somebody that I could go to outside of an instructor and sort of, you know, these are my concerns right now because, you know, you don't always talk to your instructor about every little thing. Um, so it's good. I, I've, I preach about having a mentor and how great it is. And there's resources out there. There's a place, there's an organization called professional pilots of tomorrow and they hook you up with a mentor that's right for you and fits for your, what you want to do in your career. But a mentor is great and it goes to them giving you advice. It goes to them kind of being there to kind of push you in the right direction. But it's also just a good person to talk to, a good person to relate to. Because, I mean, it's great to have a support system outside aviation, but they can't always relate to it. It's like, they don't know what you mean. Like, I don't know how to do a hold. I can't figure this out. I can't figure out an ILS. You know, it's like you need someone that can be like, hey, I've been there before. Trust me, you'll get it. I was in the same situation 20, 30, 40, no, no, 10 years ago, whatever it was, but like, you'll be able right. to do it. Just keep at it. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, mentorship is something that's, that's very close to my heart. We'll have to talk about that site uh, when we're done. Um, because it's, it's having one growing up um, really kind of inspired me. Like if I can leave a mark on this, on this industry, when I'm gone, I, I want to be able to, to say, yeah, I've, I've inspired some people to do this as a living because it's rough. It beats you up sometimes, but it is so, so rewarding in the end that, that, you know, I, yeah, I want other people to do this too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's a, it's a great way to go down. I look forward to having that conversation. Uh, when you did your training, where did you start? Like, what was it? So you were the first one kind of in your, in your family to do this. What, what did you, what resources did you use to go find an airport, a school? Did you just go to your local airport and go to the first school? Or did you call around, use the yellow pages, use Google? What'd you use? <laughs> um, I, I started, started by, uh, eventually when I finally got a car, um, I just, drove around to different airports and hung out, hung out for a bit until I found a spot that I liked. Um, so I, I wound up, uh, I wound up getting to, uh, to go to the local airport, uh, just kind of hang out. I was just an airport rat. I would hang out and occasionally mow the lawns or, uh, do like, I remember painting the, the fuel farm, 
pipes one time, um, and just pump gas, like just sort of hang out. Never really was employed, but I was just sort of there. Like she's the one that's there. Um, in a good way though. <laughs> and it, but in a good way. Yeah. yeah. I, I wasn't, I don't, at least I don't think I was thought of a crazy person. Maybe I was. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, I, it, I was paid in rides. I remember, um, one time, uh, Somebody was going out. He's like, hey, I'm going to go fly around for about an hour. Are you doing anything? Like on the radio, like as he's taxiing out. Like, "Uh, no, I'm just kind of sitting here. Like, he's like, we'll jump in. So he stops in front of the FBO, doesn't even shut the engine down. Just, you know, I just jump in and we go. And and that was kind of neat because eventually we did a we did an air show for the 100th, 100th anniversary of flight. And, you know, got to help out with that and, and spent. I'm mostly helping out with the rides and, you know, there'd be an empty seat. Andrea, jump in, let's go. So, you know, here I am just going and buzzing around. So what was, uh, so, I mean, I hear stories about people being like that, like going to the airport and I always say, just go to the airport, go hang out. But I feel like it's a great idea, but like actually doing it. And if you are just going to an FBO, it can be kind of intimidating because everyone knows each other. Everyone kind of has the clicks. Like, yes, the industry is very welcoming and they'll like, like you said, they'll just like, Hey, you want to ride? Let's go. But how did you kind of just go in? Did you just have no fear going be like, hi, my name's Andrew. I'll do anything. I want to fly. This is amazing. I'll paint, mow lawns, whatever. Or was it just kind of like, uh, you just sat there and then you, you kind of worked your way. Just, I guess, if someone's listening to this and they're 16 and they want to do what you did, they want to be around aviation. Like, how did you even start that? How did you overcome the fear of people being like thinking that you're annoying? Cause I would think I'd be annoying by being like a little kid going to ask, but what was the thought process and how did you kind of break down that barrier? Um, now I would probably think much like you, I'd be very scared about it. I'd be, you know, concerned about being annoying, annoying, um, concerned about being a security risk. Uh, but back then I just, I was like, Oh cool. Airport. I stopped and popped in and, and there were, there were a number of them around me when I was growing up. Um, so, so I just kind of went to different ones and the one I felt most comfortable at was the one that I just sort of started going back to. Um, and I remember, uh, the, the FBO manager, uh, was one of the first ones to, to meet me. And I just sort of like, Hey, I'm Andrea. I'm looking to fly. He's like, all right, cool. We've got a couple instructors based here. Like, uh, yeah, if you want to just hang out, I mean, no worries. There's coffee in the back. If you drink coffee and you know, a soda machine over here, if you want it. And, and that was just sort of how it all started. Um, and then, yeah, and then they were, I, they were super welcoming. And I think that probably did the most for it of, of kind of keeping any of those fears from showing up, um, was that I just happened to be lucky enough to be surrounded by good people. Um, but no, I just sort of went for it. Um, cause you know, 16 and wasn't thinking about thinking the same way that I do now. Um, Sometimes you just got to take that leap, right? Yeah, it was, it was just a, I guess I'm going to do this and here I go. Um, and I remember probably the best way to, the best way I can think of it is, is when I was going through captain training at my last, uh, my last company, um, there was 
there was a time where I was hemming and hawing over a decision in the sim. And I remember the instructor saying the what's worse than making the wrong decision is making no decision at all. Um, and so it's, that's probably the best, best way to do it of even if it's the wrong airport to go to do it because you went and now you have more information so that when you go the next time, you know, you'll, you'll be armed with that information and experience and you, you'll have a better idea of how to, how to deal with it next time. Absolutely. Yeah. And making no decision is not okay. Making a decision that still works out and you can learn from it. That is okay. So I, I love that. That's a, that's a great learning experience and that's a, a great kind of, um, it's a great way to explain that situation for sure. When yeah. you were, um, you mentioned that you went to the one that felt most comfortable. What was it that could make you feel comfortable in that situation? Was it just, could you, was it just like a vibe that you got from it? Was it, uh, how good the coffee was? Who had the best couch? Like what was the, uh, what was the, what made you feel comfortable? I mean, cause obviously people can, can sell, they can kind of trick you a little bit, but if you spend enough time around anyone, they show their true colors eventually. So what was it that made you feel comfortable? Well, it, it definitely wasn't the coffee because I mean, if anybody's ever been to a small airport and had the coffee, you know that it's probably been sitting in that pot for the last like six or eight hours. It's pretty terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't the best to start with, no. uh, but um, but no, it was it was definitely a vibe. It was you know the the welcoming atmosphere from from the manager when I introduced myself. It was people who who sort of rolled around um, and came in and just a chat because, you know, it's a small airplane or a small airport. Um, when people aren't flying, they talk about flying, um, and would just sort of tell stories. And, and when a learning opportunity came up, they would sort of tell me like, you know, this is, I did a thing and I, I noticed that, you know, this, my oil pressure gauge wasn't quite reading correctly. And, and I, I kind of decided that, you know, it's, I wasn't planning on going flying today anyway, so maybe I'll take it back to the hangar. And turns out I had a, a loose line or something along that line. Um, and so now I, I kind of take that and, all right, well, something doesn't look right. Well, what does this mean? Like, what's the risk? And, and, and those sort of formative experiences that, that sort of stick with me um, now. And it was it was kind of that that welcoming atmosphere and then also the the sort of willingness to include me in discussions, even though I wasn't yet a pilot, it was still, you know, kind of more of that mentoring mentality of, you know, this is somebody who's going to be doing this for a while and they're probably going to need information going down the road. And, and it was, it was great because I mean, it's, it's certainly made professional training extremely easy because I was taught, a way to think about airplanes very, very early. And anybody that's flown an airplane, um, especially for a while knows that primacy is a very, very real thing. And, um, having that proper primacy, um, has really, really helped. Um, so kind of wandered a little bit off the, off the topic there. <laughs> All good. What, um, when you went from the transition of kind of just hanging out at the airport to actually doing flight training, did that take a while? Was that, uh, was it kind of right when you got there, you kind of like transferred in you're like, all right, well, I do like this. Thanks for the free rides. And did you go into kind of 
private pilot training or did it take a, a year or two or did you wait until college to do that? I, I waited until college, um, mostly for, uh, funding. Um, I, mom wasn't really working at the time. Dad is a pastor. So growing up, we never wanted for anything. Um, but we, we definitely didn't have the money to, to go drop 10 grand on me learning how to fly. Um, so it, it definitely waited until college, uh, and I had student loan funding to do it. Um, so, uh, I sort of hung around for about two years and, um, had a little graduation party at the airport. Um, and then off to North Dakota, I went and, um, I think after, I think my parents were still there dropping me off when I took my first flight, um, first lesson. Um, so, so yeah, it was, it was shortly after getting to college, but it wasn't, I didn't do anything formally, um, in high school. When you chose a college, what, what other schools were you looking at? You chose North Dakota, but were, were you taking in a lot? I know you're from, or you, you are, you were living in the area, so you're kind of used to the cold then. So I'm sure North Dakota, <laughs> for me coming from North Carolina, if someone said North Dakota, I was like, absolutely not. I'm not going to North Dakota. Get out of here. It's like, I'm going to go Florida, go somewhere warm. Even I went to Ohio State and it was freezing cold there too. But <laughs> what were you looking at when you chose a university for flying? Uh, I was mainly looking at, at the flying. Um, it was, um, I, I wanted to go to the place that you go for, for quality pilot training. So I was looking at North Dakota. I was looking at Embry-Riddle. Um, I was looking at Ohio university. I remember that as well. Um, and, uh, Oh, you turned me down actually. What jerks. Um, I know. Right. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, wound up, I was in the middle of my application to, uh, Embry Riddle when I got the, which, when I got the notification from, uh, UND that that's where I, that they had accepted me. And I had just always wanted to go to UND. It, it seemed it from the research that I had done, it seemed more of a, they teach you how to be a professional pilot, but they also still teach you that, intangible pilotness, um, of, you know, every once in a while, you just have to kick off the autopilot and be a pilot and do that pilot stuff. Like, you know, put some aileron deflection in and pull all back pressure in and actually turn the airplane yourself. Um, and so that was, I wasn't really getting that vibe from, from Embry Riddle. Um, and so, so yeah, I went up there and, um, also hockey player have played forever. So that, I mean, the idea of being around super high quality of hockey also helped. Uh, but, um, but yeah, so, so that was, that was mainly it. It was that, that vibe of, you know, you still get to do some of the old school flying. Yeah. I, I went to 141 schools. I went to Ohio state, got my private there and then did everything else. 61. I've told the story a million times. So people are probably rolling their eyes, but I really enjoyed the fact that like, I love 61 training and I love the fact that it was like my instructor, the first one I had down in North Carolina, he was like, his old guy used to write programs for Honeywell. He was like, we're going to, you're not going to touch, like there's no autopilots, any of the planes. We learned old school flying. And I mean, maybe at the time I was kind of annoyed, but now I'm so glad that's how I learned. Yeah, it, it definitely, again, with the primacy, I mean, I remember, 
few months ago going into Denver, the, the autopilot started doing weird things and I was like, well, this isn't right. And just shut it off and hand flew it around for a little bit while, while we figured out what was going on. And once we got everything back under control, the captain's like, where'd you learn that? I was like, I, I don't know. I'm a, I'm a pilot. Like the autopilot was sending us where we didn't want to go. And I don't know if you've noticed Denver, but there's a lot of really hard rocks around. Um, so like, I kind of don't want to hit those at 300 knots. Um, so I just sort of <laughs> like, so, um, so yeah, it was, it was kind of that, that sort of difference in training philosophy, I think that really kind of pushed me there. Yeah. My last tour of flying, we actually had our auto throttles failed, autopilot failed and the yaw dampener failed. So it made for uh a long tour. And if anyone has ever, I mean, people listening are probably like, oh, poor you. But it's like, all right, when you get used to auto throttles and <laughs> autopilot and a yaw dampener, like your life is just so much better. It's like, it's still fly, but it's just so much more draining. <laughs> and I know it's like crime. It's like first world problems, but <laughs> right. it was rough. It was a rough day or two before it was fixed. Uh, the things we rely on in modern modern aviation. I know. That's for sure. It's like, I love my autopilot. I never knew I would love auto throttles until I had them. So don't judge until you have them. They're awesome. Make your workload <laughs> and make your life a lot easier. A friend of mine was talking about, he wanted, he was like, Hey, if you get, if you get furloughed, you can come fly the CJ three with me. And I was like, Ugh, it doesn't have auto throttles. It doesn't <laughs> have an external lab. I can't stand up in the cabin. It doesn't have an APU. Uh, I don't know, man. Yeah, you need to tell him no. I'm only going to Laddie. I'm sorry. The Latitude's calling my name. <laughs> I can almost stand up. The Latitude cabin is six foot tall. I'm six foot two, so I have to bend over Ooh. a little bit. But it's still, I mean, from a CJ3, you feel like you're in a BBJ coming out of that thing. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, and this is the first plane I've ever had that has working air conditioning, working heat. The PC-12 I used to fly, the bleed air, for some reason, couldn't supply enough heat to heat up the cabin. So it was really kind of a weird situation and didn't really make sense. But And then we had no bathroom. So this is the first plane I've ever had with a bathroom, with heat, with air conditioning, and it has a cured coffee maker, <laughs> and it has an unlimited amount of snacks. It's like, I never want to leave. I think I think one of the, the best features of the Embraer is, you know, when I want a cup of coffee, there's just a little little button down there on the pedestal that says crew and I just put that push that and it goes ding and the voice on the other end says, Hi, can I help you? And I'm like, Yeah, love a cup of coffee, please. Yeah. All right. Service. See, yeah. see up in a couple minutes. <laughs> you get to tip them when they come in. Is it like uh here's five bucks, thanks for the coffee? I, I appreciate should. it. <laughs> yeah right I, I probably should the flight attendants definitely do way more work than I do oh my gosh that's I mean I don't fly with a flight attendant but I would have to agree from what I see <laughs> that's funny we're actually switching out our Keurig machines for an espresso machine so our bouginess is even going up another level so I'm pretty <laughs> pumped about that good stuff but um, you're at North Dakota you are like you kind of mentioned the fact of why you chose North Dakota was your experience there more or less than what you expected um, in some ways more, in some ways less. Uh, it was definitely more of a learn how to fly at an airline, uh, than I thought it was going to be. Um, which was great, uh, going into professional pilot training programs because it taught you a way to study. It taught you, um, a way to, to learn the airplane, to operate the airplane, 
uh, taught you a mentality about all those professional pilot things like call outs and flows and, um, excuse me, things like that. Um, so that, that definitely helped. Uh, so in that respect, yes, it was definitely more than I was expecting. Um, especially transitioning between airplanes. Uh, and I still use some of those habits today. I have about a, Oh, looking at it over there, it's probably about four inch thick stack of, of note cards that are my flashcards for the 170. Um, and skills that I picked up at North Dakota of, you know, what do I put on my flashcards? You know, what do I, how do I phrase it? And that sort of thing. Um, but it was also kind of a little bit less because, you know, it's, it wasn't until I got out of school and started like actually going into real GA flying um, that I kind of got the the fun of it again. Um, because, you know, day one, you're taught, you're taught to fly a Piper Warrior like it's a 737. Um, and you, you do everything the same way every single time. And you go to the, you go to the approved airports and you don't go to other ones. Um, unless you absolutely have to. Uh, but you know, it's, it kind of took a little bit of the fun out of it, uh, during training, but I was also lucky enough to have a couple of senior instructors who, um, who had been there for a while and kind of knew how to sort of put the fun back into it. Um, it, it would it'd be anything from, you know, landing competitions to parking competitions. Um, you know, who can, who can park better, who can, uh, who can hit their spot better. Um, and the sort of stuff that, uh, that being a competitive person, um, like just, you know, that, that sort of thing. I think all pilots are a little bit competitive that, that sort of puts the fun back into it. Absolutely. I mean, um, if I don't have the best landing it, by the end of the tour, I'm, I'm pissed. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I must yeah, have a better landing I, than you or else it's going to affect me for the next week. <laughs> I'm, I'm the same way. I remember I, I, I kissed one on pretty good at the end of, end of the trip, uh, a couple trips ago. And the flight attendant was like, Oh, that landing was just absolutely amazing. I was like, yeah, I'd be happy with it if I had skipped. Uh, like <laughs> just like those little things that that again like um but that's the sort of thing is you know like when we do our landing competitions it would be you know all right second center line stripe it's got to be dead on the center line and you can't skip smoothest one wins yeah uh, and one thing to always remember is it, it doesn't count as a good as a smooth or good landing if you float halfway down the runway <laughs> you know Exactly. I remember, I, I remember a uh, first officer at my last company and I were kind of doing the same sort of thing. And he was bragging about that landing. And I was like, yeah, except for the fact that it was 3000 feet down the runway. <laughs> Why don't you try to do that in a thousand footers next time, buddy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was a Pilatus. Like you float 3000 feet down the runway. You still got another you, you only need another like 600 to get it stopped, but <laughs> I flew, I don't know if you know, I flew freight in a plot. So I have about a thousand hours on a PC 12. Okay. Yeah. So right. I yeah. definitely know that plane pretty well. I'd miss it every once in a while. It's a fun plane to fly. Yeah. Uh, we were, we were on the fancier ones. We had the 47 E's. So we had, they had the bleed air situation mostly figured out. They still haven't quite gotten the air conditioning working, but uh, I flew the third, yeah. the, sixth and the ninth one off the line 
So like as oh, wow. old as you can possibly get. Pilatus is told that I'm pretty sure they told the company that they're not not going to do any more extension of life on the on the hours, and the, this is the the last time when they're done. So we'll see about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I never did get to fly the old 45s with, without the Fletner tabs on the the ailerons. I've heard that that aileron force is uh, it's heavy. Trying to move a truck. <laughs> yeah, it's a heavy plane. It's a very heavy airplane. It's crazy. But yeah, um, going back to your North Dakota, let's let's talk about kind of your transition into, let's say, the real world. Because, <laughs> I mean, North Dakota, you're kind of a sheltered. It's like you're going to the airlines. This industry is great, but what you graduate into maybe kind of spoke a little bit differently. Talk about your experience going graduating in 2008. Did you know before you graduated that like, all right, this market sucks. Like, what am I going to do? Or was it graduate, then boom, no job? Uh, it was, uh, so I had, um, I had an offer for Masaba, uh, straight out of college. Uh, ink was still wet on my commercial certificate back when you could get a job with the airline. It's just a commercial. Um, and, uh, so I had a class date and everything. Um, it was a few months out after graduation. Um, and then things started slowing down. So Masaba started pushing the date back pushing the date back, pushing the date back. And then Delta showed up, uh, uh, Masaba being a, a Northwest wholly owned, uh, after the merger, um, Delta went and they canceled a bunch of those. They just canceled the ones that had been being pushed back. Um, so now here I am without a job, uh, back living with my parents who had moved back to Ohio, uh, while I was in school. Um, and really a degree that regular employers don't really know what to do with. Um, flight education sounds super awesome. Um, but honestly, like you put that on your resume, going to try to work at, uh, Bob's consulting firm and they don't really know what to do with that. Um, so it's, it was rough. Um, I, I just sort of, uh, I don't know, bode my time for a bit, bode, bited. I don't really know how to say that word. Uh, just sat there for a bit, uh, until my parents eventually got annoyed with me just sitting at home doing nothing, um, saying get a job or get out of the house. Um, I don't think they would have ever actually kicked me out of my house, out of the house, but you know, they had to do something to motivate me. Um, and so I wound up going and working in logistics for four years. I got better than I ever wanted to at driving a forklift. Um, and it, you know, it, it paid the bills. It, you know, allowed me to start paying off some of my loans and that sort of thing. Um, and it was, it was a little bit rewarding once I found like a little niche in it. Um, but never really held down a job for very long. Um, so it was, it was definitely, it was definitely life kind of kicking me in the teeth. Like, you know, you're not in school anymore, kid. Um, so. Was that hard? Kind of cause you had was, this whole idea, like going to school, like we talked about earlier, it's like your identity is a pilot. You're going to be a pilot. You went to school to be a pilot. You come out and right. you're not a pilot. Was that uh, kind of tough or do you kind of just like, well, this is my story. It's just kind of how it is. I'm going to have to accept the blows as they come and keep on moving on and trying to get my goal. It was definitely, uh, it was definitely a big blow. Uh, 
searched around for an identity um, for for a couple years after school, um, and then after I had start of, started getting into logistics, I was like, well, I gave it a run, and you know the the machine took me in and it rejected me somewhere in the middle, and that's just how it is. Like not everybody makes it, um, and so it kind of resigned. Uh, resigned to never flying again, at least not professionally. Um, and sort of was ready to just give it all up. Um, and then one day I, I got treated like garbage by a horrible company, uh, and called my dad and was like, is it crazy of me to take out another loan to go get my CFI renewed? And dad was like, um, no, I don't think it's crazy, uh, but don't worry. I'll don't take out another loan. I'll I'll fund this one. So, um, so yeah. For a while, it was definitely like you know I was I was resigned to not doing it. And then that experience driving home, I was thinking about it for thirty minutes or so, and was like, huh, what if I give it another shot? And, um gave it another shot and so glad that I did because it's, it's given me so many opportunities. I mean, I've, I've, I've never thought that I was going to say that I got to land an airplane in Cuba. Um, so if, if I hadn't been, if I hadn't been fired from that job, I'd probably still be managing a distribution system for a medical supply company in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing how things kind of kind of work out. You know, it's like in someone's life, uh, could be you, could be me, could be someone listening to this. Like you're going to have extreme highs, extreme lows, kind of just like the aviation industry. And you're going to make decisions that maybe could impact like when you're going to start, how long you'll be in it. But it's just crazy how things happen for a reason. Like maybe that if you never got out of it, you would have never been a pilot and then you would never be able to become the mentor that you wanted to be to get more people in aviation. So it's like these really bad moments in someone's life can be used to pivot your life and to change kind of what your goals are and what you want to do. And you can kind of see, like you saw the aviation industry in a different light. You're like, screw this. I don't need this. I can go do, I can go back to being a pilot and I can get abused by the industry, not by, by someone else. You know, it's like, it's just crazy how things happen in someone's life for a reason. I feel like everything that you go through leads you up to what you're going to be and who you're going to become. Yeah, um, I, I totally agree with that. And I think it's also shaped kind of my mentality of, of kind of trying to be that, that mentor type uh, person because it's another thing that's, that works into the story of you. Um, you know, you've, you've had experiences that are different than mine. So, you know, we each talk to the same person. They get to take both of our experiences and, and now get to look at this when, you know, maybe they're getting fired from a, from a, uh, a logistics, um, job. And like, you know, Oh, I remember when Andrea talked about that. All right. So that's something to think about. So. Yeah, for sure. When you made that decision to get your CFI renewed, what was kind of the industry looking like? Was it up on the upswing or was it still kind of down? It was, it was definitely on the upswing. This was, this was 2016. So it was really starting to, to really start going again. Um, 
I think all of the all of the new contracts that the airlines were starting to go through, um, even CFIs were starting to get paid a little bit more. Um, so it was it was definitely uh, it was definitely looking better. Um, I actually when I went in to to start looking for jobs after getting that getting my CFI done, um, I remember going through and, and talking to one chief CFI who t- took a look at my business card and said, Oh, I've heard of you. So, I mean, it was to the point where other schools were talking about students they had going through their programs. Um, so it was, and, and that turned out to be such a blessing, the place that I worked at after that too. So, um, so yeah, things were definitely on the upswing again. Um, I wasn't, really a hundred percent sure how my career was going to take shape. Um, didn't really have an exact end goal in mind yet. Um, still kind of don't, but, uh, but definitely was like, all right, yeah, this is something that I want to do because nothing can really stop the airline industry. Now, all of those used to be 60 year old pilots are getting ready to retire. Well, now they're 65 year old pilots and they're getting ready to retire again. Yeah. Um, and so. probably the same mindset I was in like there, yeah, there might be another downturn, but it, there's no way it can be worse than what it was before. <laughs> right. And yeah. and that's one of the things that's kind of kept me going through this situation that we're in now, because there may be a pandemic going on, but even in a pandemic, you get older. So yeah, the, sen- the senior guys will still have to retire or senior guys and girls will still have to retire eventually. Unless that feels like, all right, well, you know, you can go to 67. I can go to 70. Well, now you can go to 67. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was it hard for you to kind of transition back into the, the flying mentality to get back in the swing of things? Or was it just kind of like you never stopped and you picked right up where you left? Um, it, I think I was more worried about it than it actually was. Uh, I remember going back out for that first lesson back. I'm, I'm in the wrong seat. Um, I'm at an airport I'm not really familiar with. I'm with an instructor that I've talked to twice in my entire life. Um, and I haven't flown an airplane in five or six years. So definitely pulled out on the end of the runway, took a deep breath. The only thought going through my brain was don't kill us, push power forward. And it took probably about five five to 10 minutes to sort of start getting back to, all right, yeah, I do still remember how to do this. It is, it it wasn't as smooth and pretty as I would like it would have liked it to be. Um, but I definitely, it was much like riding a bike. It was, you know, you get, there's a little bit of wobbles at first, but you you get back to it really, really quickly. When you said wobble, the first thing that came to my mind was the wobble song. (laughs) 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 I haven't heard that in years. I know. I have a random mind. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what uh so you were getting your cfi renewed um would you recommend that no one ever lets their cfi lapse even if you think you'll never get back in aviation because i heard that's absolutely annoying and tough absolutely it was a giant pain in the bleep uh it was it, it was just it was the worst part because you gotta you gotta do everything all over again um and especially at a, at a place where you didn't get it in the first place so, you know, you have to go and prove to them, you know, yes, I, I still know everything. Uh, plus all the, all the studying and everything because it's still a check ride. I mean, you, you still study for a check ride. 
you want to do perfect and, and everything like that. Um, but yeah, don't, don't let it, if you got your CFI and you're at like a year and nine months and you're like, do I really want to pay for another, another two years of this thing? Like just go get your American life, American flyers lifetime subscription or whatever it is. Like, the answer is yes. It. It's always yes, right? It, do you, it. Just do, do it. it. Like yeah. it sucks. Yeah. Like I'm not going to lie to you. It's terrible. It's horrible, but it's way better than the alternative. What was harder, your first CFI check ride or your second CFI check ride? Uh, probably my my first one because uh, that was that was done at a 61 school, so it was it was definitely a lot more laid back. You didn't have all of the all the super hard regulations and or super hard rules and everything that come with a 141 school. It was it was easier, but at the same time, it was also kind of harder because you didn't have that structure. Um, pushing you. So you sort of had to, there was, there was an empty office at the airport. And I just asked the flight school manager, I was like, can I just take over this for a little bit while I study? And they're like, yeah, go for it. So I just basically locked myself in there for eight hours a day and sort of, that was my job for a month and a half while I was getting it all done. Yeah. I mean, that's the best way to do it is just kind of dedicate your life to it. Not everyone has that kind of ability to just make sure they can set aside a month and a half. So I'm glad that you were able to do that and get it all done. How long did you CFI for? I guess the better question is what was kind of your, your goal? Was it a CFI and then go to the regionals or the CFI and for a little bit and kind of take whatever job sounded the most fun to you? Yeah, it was, it was definitely kind of a CFI for a bit then, and then figure it out. Um, the, there was all that sort of go to the regionals sort of in the background. Um, after after I started kind of figuring out more of what my life wanted to look like, I had always kind of wanted to be an airline pilot, um, and then kind of got into CFI and really enjoyed little airplanes again. Uh, got to fly a Citation um, just on the side. Uh, just insurance needed a second pilot, and I had a multi-engine rating, so you know I. I was lucky enough to do that while I was CFIing. So kind of got into the corporate life and okay, maybe, yeah, maybe I do kind of want to do this corporate stuff. Um, so when, when things started kind of going towards timing, timing to move on, um, started looking at corporate and corporate charter, uh, wound up doing 91 K and, uh, it was a good experience. It was, it was definitely a good experience because it, it brought back some a lot of that that pilot skill. The best way to learn something is to teach teach it, um, and so definitely, and I can see it now with you know other pilots that I fly with. I can tell like, okay, yeah, you taught for a while. You were a CFI for a while, and and it was definitely definitely a huge advantage um, to do that. I wandered again. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, good. <laughs> when you were, um, were flying the PC 12 and you're flying kind of the 91 K side of things, did you ever think that that was going to be a career? Like kind of just stay in the corporate 91 K 135 world or did you want to go? I mean, obviously you're an airline now, so you kind of straight toward the airlines, but did you ever consider just staying in that industry? I did. Um, I, I definitely considered it, uh, again, kind of going back to, 
kind of my mentor's career um, and being in the 91K world. And like, I, I liked, I liked a little bit of the variability. Um, I think we had a very, we had a very short call out time. Um, I think it was eight hours, um, 12 for some of the further Western States, but uh, it was mostly eight hours. So our schedule just changed so rapidly. I mean, you, you'd wake up and you're like, Oh, cool. I get a Hilton head overnight tonight. Awesome. And then, you know, two hours later, you're like, Oh, all right, go to PBI now. And then like two hours later, Oh, I'm going to Teterboro. Uh, it's, it's just sort of, sorry for everybody who loves Teterboro. Um, but if there are any of you out there, uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but, but, uh, it was a little bit of that variability that I really liked. Um, I could go to, I remember one flight that I did was from JFK to Fisher's Island. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Fisher's Island is a little Island, uh, just South of Connecticut. It's got a 2400 ish foot runway. Uh, you, there's an airplane that I don't know if it's still there, but it, it was there for a while. Props are all bent up because somebody thought they could land on that runway. It turns out they couldn't collapsed here, bent up the, bent up the props and that airplane just sort of was sitting there rotting. Uh, so it's a, it's a super challenging airport to go to, but it was, it was kind of cool because here I am, you know, number two behind a seven, eight, seven, and there's a a three eighty behind me and a little teeny little Pilatus right there in the middle and going to an airport that, you know, they probably couldn't even turn around in. Uh, and, and here I am at the same airport with them. So. Yeah. It's, it's really cool where you can go. And that's kind of my, you were kind of explaining my job. It's like, I'll wake up in the morning. I'll go to bed at night with this brief. It's a beautiful brief. You know, I got two legs. We're going out West or we're, say we're in Chicago. We're going to go to Jackson hole. Then we're going to go to Boeing field. And then I wake up and it's changed from Jack to, to just Jackson. It's like, all right, cool. I can say Jackson. And then it changes to Teterboro, to Palm Beach. And it's just like, wait, what's happening? I want to go back West. I don't want to go East. <laughs> Stop. But yeah, I mean, I kind of, I kind of like it though. Like, I don't know if I would enjoy knowing, I mean, I probably would enjoy knowing what am I, who am I kidding? But it would be great to know where you're going all the time. And, but I, I really don't mind how much my schedule changes. And I think you, you learn to love it or you learn to live with it and if you can love it and you can just accept it. Then you will enjoy this industry much more. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it was fun when I was, uh, when I was a first officer and did much less work. Um, uh, not saying that first officers are pointless. That's, that's totally not what I'm saying. Um, but you're concerned about different things and whether you're going to Teterboro or whether you're going to Jackson hole, you know, it's still kind of your job to make sure the plane's clean to make sure that, you know, the, you, we got the gas that we need, make sure we got the clearance and all this sort of thing. You don't really have to do at my company. We didn't have dispatchers. So we had to do all the planning. We had to do all of the weather. We had to do all the, the fuel calculations and all that sort of thing. Technology definitely helped with that, but it's still, it's still a bunch of work and Oh yeah. Keep yourself on schedule too. Um, so it's, I, I liked it less after I had transitioned to being a captain because, you know, all right, cool. I got all this work done to get us to Jackson hole, uh, to St. Louis, to new Orleans. Like I, 
all right, I got that all done and everything's great. And all right, 10 minutes before we leave, where's my passengers? All right, well, you're going to uh, Sioux Falls, South Dakota now. What? Uh, oh, oh, okay. Um, all right, well, hang on, let me plan. Uh, oh, why haven't you guys left yet? Well, you just changed my schedule like five minutes ago and I have to do 20 minutes worth of planning. So, um, you know, we'll leave when we leave. Uh, but you know, I'm going to do the best I can, but I'm also not going to be unsafe. And, and that was a lot of the challenges of, you know, deal with this high pressure, extremely dynamic environment. And also, you know, don't kill anybody or bend anything. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a balance for sure. It's like, you gotta, you have to be safe hundred percent. You have to be able to tell the company like, well, we're going to go when we have everything laid out the way that we need it to be laid out. And the company I work for is great because they, they just give us our brief, they change it. And it's up to us to, to do everything we leave when we want. Like if we're late, it's okay. It's not the end of the world. They put in enough planning time that we, the passengers will usually never be affected with their, their takeoff time. So it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, it's not as like, Hey, where are you? Why haven't you left yet? Why haven't you left? What are you doing? What are you doing? You need to leave. It's like, well, just chill. We'll be safe. Calm down. <laughs> we'll get there. But that's how it I was in my freight I, company I, all the time. Yeah. I, I think that a lot of the, a lot of the pressures that I had in my previous job weren't, um, weren't so much intentional. I think it was the company grew exponentially, extremely fast. And it was, a, it was a very steep learning curve of, you know, this is how we've always operated. And now that has changed dramatically. And suddenly everything is different and there are challenges that we didn't even think we would have to deal with. Um, so I hadn't planned for. Um, so I think it was, I think it was much more of a, of a growing pains type thing. Um, I, I still keep in touch with a couple people who still work there and, and they, they still work there because they love it. Um, so they have, they're looking at it through a different lens, uh, than I am. Um, and then they, they're saying things are better. So maybe they are, maybe they aren't. Um, but, but I still think it, I don't think it was an intentional trying to be unsafe. I think it was very much a challenges that, that weren't foreseen. And so therefore cropped up and, you know, the way that it was handled was, was one of the things that kind of made me feel like, okay, maybe it's time to move on. So that was my next question. Was that the kind of determining factor for you to leave and look on for other things? Yeah, it had, it had been another day of, you know, 15 schedule changes and, and wound up being a long, long day and fairly short overnight and had a friend at the the company that I'm working at now and just sort of sent her a quick text, like, how do I do this? And <laughs> within, aren't looking too bad right now. <laughs> and within uh, probably about two hours, I was on the phone with a recruiter. Um, so it was, and that's, that's kind of the way things were in the middle of, 2000 actually this would have been the beginning of 2019 was you know everybody was trying so hard to find pilots um and i i think that's going to come back rather quickly um but it's just going to suck while we're sitting here um 
How long bef- between you having that call with the recruiter before you were in that class? How many months, weeks? How long did it take? Uh, I think it was about. I think it was about five. Um, part of it was uh, they had just put through. They had been trying a couple different things with their class structures, um, from gigantic classes to itty bitty little ones. Um, they had put through a gigantic class at the end of, I think it was 2018 and everybody got backed up trying to get to Sims because, well, there's only so many simulators that you can use. And, you know, now we're trying to put 120 people through Sims. They're not going to go that fast. So things were backed up for a little while. So that definitely delayed things a bit. Um, but once, I mean, once that got through, things moved pretty quickly. Um, and it was, you know, we were still scrambling to kind of get a, a lot of the paperwork, a lot of the final little detailed bits of paperwork finished up while I was in my, uh, in my CTP training. ATP, CTP, man, that was the biggest waste of money I've ever done in my life. <laughs> I don't know if it was different for you, but what I did, yeah, it was just like I, such a joke. I think, I mean, I understand why it's there, um, especially if it's somebody coming from CFIing in a 172. Uh, it's very different, to quote airplane, it's a different type of flying altogether. Um, and I, I definitely understand that because I got to see it. I mean, I had been flying turbine airplanes for 1,200 hours. I'd been in the flight levels. I kind of, you know, Pilatus isn't exactly the fastest thing on the planet, but it still does. 300 miles an hour, um, 400 with a good tailwind. Uh, so it's, it's not, it's not a 172 speed. Uh, and so I did get to see it kind of in that our, our simulator for the CTP was an A320 and getting to see my sim partner push the power up and, uh, the airplane start moving. And I called 80 knots and his brain just stopped because 80 knots comes, you know, four seconds later and his brain is just dead on the runway short of the thousand footers and i called rotate and nothing happened rotate nothing happened so i just kind of reached over and just sort of bumped the bumped the nose up and that kind of got him back into it but um yeah definitely definitely coming from that world i think that that it is it is quality uh training um, because you learn in a classroom a lot of the things that I learned in the Pilatus, um, just going out and making mistakes. Um, there was, I definitely remember the first three months or so in the Pilatus. I was so far behind the airplane. It, you know, I felt like I was doing great. And, you know, yeah, I'm keeping up. And captain's like, all right, descent checklist. And I'm like, wait, descent checklist? What? We just got to altitude. Like, we just did the after no, takeoff checklist. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> we got to altitude like an hour ago. You've been sitting here doing nothing while the airplanes rip it across the country. Um, so, so that's that sort of thing that that I had to go out and learn in the real world. It was sort of repetitive for me in that classroom. I think was is definitely of value for somebody who who's used to doing you know ninety a hundred knots in the in the pattern. What was, uh, what was, what's your regional experience been like so far? It's been everything you thought it'd be. I mean, obviously you had that moment where like, all right, there's too many schedule changes. Like I need something, something different. Is it, 
what you thought it was or is it uh and you know the old saying the grass isn't always greener um it's it's been a little bit better uh i definitely do far less work um because i don't have to worry about cleaning the plane we, we have people for that uh i don't have to worry about making sure the fuel order is right we have people for that uh i don't have to worry about dealing with the passengers we have people for that i i show up i sit down i go fly um so that's it's it does kind of present different challenges, um, but it is certainly, I don't want to say less work, but a different type of work that I don't find as mentally draining um, than, than the 91K world. Um, the schedule changes didn't really go away at first because in the airline world, when you're, when you're new, you sit on reserve. Um, so you are, you are the pilot who comes in when somebody calls in sick or somebody gets delayed. Um, so the, and O'Hare is a, is a senior base for us. So I spent about the first year, uh, sitting on reserve. I've only had a line for the last two months. Um, and line flying is completely different. Uh, I have, uh, I have all of the, my entire schedule for, September already. I know where I'm going to be every night. I know what hotel I'm going to be staying at. Um, I know how long I'm going to be there. Uh, cause which is, which is great because I can look and I can go, Oh, Portland. All right, cool. And I'm there for 19 hours. All right. I can go downtown. I can get Gilbert's. I haven't had a good lobster in a while. Um, so, so it's, uh, it's nice for that sort of thing. Um, and, and that sort of thing, but it does, it does kind of end up a little bit repetitive. I think the thing that brings it back to me, that's super fun is, you know, I get to go in and out of O'Hare a lot. So O'Hare is just, it's an entirely different animal. If you've never flown into O'Hare, you don't understand. Um, but if you've been there just once, you understand that there's the way to do things. And then there's the O'Hare way to do things. And, I definitely like the O'Hare way to do things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's the wild, wild west, man. It's wild out there for sure. It, it there there are moments where you're just taxiing along, and then you're just staring at the southern plane, like going, "Hey, hey, what are you, what are you, what are you doing?" Oh crap! All right, well, we're gonna slow down, and then you're getting yelled at for stopping. It's like, well, yeah, but Delta just cut us off. You're almost never doing <laughs> anything right, but you're also not doing anything wrong at the same time. Right, exactly. <laughs> just keep going until so they yell at you. Go, go fast. Don't stop. Have an emergency. Don't try to call them. Just stop. They'll figure it out. <laughs> um, you wanted to talk a little bit about the mentorship. Uh, just kind of like your, your being a mentor and how that's a goal for you. Are you currently doing that right now? Do you have plans to do that? Um, I, I do sort of informally. Um, I'm a member of uh, a Facebook group uh, called Lady Aviators. Um, it's it's just, it was started by a couple friends of mine. Um, and it's, it's for, for women who are in aviation in some way, shape or form or want to be. Um, and it's, it has a mentorship, uh, little program. And, um, there've been a few people who have messaged me. Um, but I don't think it's quite gotten the traction that everybody had planned on. Uh, so if you're a member of that group and you've been looking for a mentor, you have resources. 
uh, send me a message on Instagram at pinup pilot or at Carl, the calming koala, uh, either or what was the other uh, one? Uh, Carl, the calming koala, Carl, the calming uh, koala. <laughs> all right. I like that one. Yeah. All, <laughs> all one word. It's, it's, we'll get into that after this. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, no, it's, it's been really, it's been really good because especially, you know, people will post questions. I remember somebody saying, you know, I, I moved across the country to start flight training. Uh, I have had no experience whatsoever. My first flight was terrible. Uh, like, do I still keep going with this? And it's, I remember somebody posting that and like a lot of us who, who've been doing this for a few years, like, you know, it's only one, it's only one flight. You know, you're, you're going to deal with this for the rest of your career. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. You know, Chuck Yeager's even had bad flights. I mean, you know, it's, we all have them. They're frustrating. They, they drive you insane. Uh, you know, the, the little meme of Kermit staring out in, into the rainy window. Like, I wonder if my last landing is thinking about me too. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You have days like that. Um, but you know, that everybody's saying that sort of thing. And she just posted an update of, you know, Hey, I'm three weeks in. You were right. I've had good days. I've had bad days. I've still got some things that I'm working on, but you know, I'm way farther ahead of where I was. And, and I think that was kind of the thing that I liked most about instructing too, is because I got to see, I got to see that every day. I got to see students who, you know, they've been working on something for the last month and it's been just, just driving them mad. And one day they, the switch goes off and they finally get it. And I get to see that and, and that sort of thing. Like the, the look of terror and excitement as I walk away from the airplane on my students' face as they get ready to go solo and then watching them come back with a smile that wraps around their head. Like just like that, that sort of thing just really kind of, it's that purpose. Um, it's a lot of that purpose that, that, you know, we all, us millennials are so, so chastised for having, but it, it really is. It's, it's super rewarding. Absolutely. I a hundred percent agree. Those are most of the questions I, I have for you. Uh, we can, I'm going to do a quick rapid fire section and then we can finish up with uh, you explaining the koala Instagram. That sounds kind of funny. But uh, I'm going to ask you, so this is called the rapid fire section. So it is just very quick questions. There's no explanation whatsoever. You just answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. All right. All right. Rip it. All right, here we go. Oh, just went away. Stand by. All right, here it goes. What is your favorite airplane of any airplane? All of the categories combined into one. What's your favorite airplane? I'm going to say P-51 Mustang. Do you have an ugliest airplane you've ever seen before? Shorts 360. Yeah, those are hideous. (laughs) What's something you wish you knew before you became a pilot? Uh how much mental energy it takes. That's a good one. I don't think any of 130, 40, whatever podcast, no one's ever said that, but you are drained. 
That's great. That's a really good answer. All right, here's one. Who in the industry would you like to meet most? It could be uh, someone that's alive on Instagram, social media. It could be someone that's passed on previously, uh, just history, current, whoever. If you could pick one, who would it be? Um, I'm going to go with Wally Funk. Cool. Good answer. What's your favorite thing about aviation? Favorite thing? Uh, getting people where they need to go, whether for family, for business, for pleasure, just getting to, to be sort of that, that enabler. Yeah. What's the hardest approach you've ever flown? Uh, hardest approach, probably the river visual in the DC. What's your favorite approach you've ever flown? River visual into DC. <laughs> What's your favorite airport to land at? Uh, O'Hare. Least favorite airport to land at? Nantucket. Would you rather fly high and fast or low and slow? Low and slow. IFR or VFR? Uh, VFR. You are at an airport. Let's say you have a connecting flight. We'll do a even... O'Hare food kind of sucks, but we'll do O'Hare anyways. You have a connecting flight in O'Hare. You have to get some kind of food. You have like 30 minutes. What's your go-to airport food? Uh, I can't even remember the place. It's in C Terminal, just at the top of the steps in the little food court. Uh, back right corner, uh, their double cheeseburger, and they call it a burger. Oh, uh, I that think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. so unhealthy, but you know what? <laughs> it is freaking delicious when has a pilot ever made healthy decisions you know it's like just accept it. <laughs> <laughs> would you rather fly over mountains beaches or cities mountains airbus or boeing or i should throw an Embraer since you're an Embraer driver uh Embraer. Right. what is your favorite airline livery uh probably pan am actually long trips or short trips long trips Hardest check ride you've ever taken? Hardest check ride? Uh, ATP. Uh, 141 training versus 61 training. If you could do it back again, which one would you do? Ooh. I think I'd probably, I think I'd probably still stick 141. Hyper or Cessna? You have one plane. You have two planes fueled up. Whatever Hyper. plane you'd want. Hyper. Hyper every day of the week. Right, there we go. Oh, uh, favorite airline. So this is not necessarily to fly for, it's to fly on. So your passenger, let's even say you could fly business class anywhere in the world. Like what, if you could choose one flight, one airline, who would you want to fly on? Uh, I think I got to go across the pond on this one and go for British Airways. All right. And this is easy. It's the last one. CRJ or ERJ? I think I already know. ERJ. <laughs> 170, 175 is by far the most, one of the most comfortable planes for me to fly on in the back. So I would choose that one as well. It, it flies like a dream. It's, it's definitely, I wasn't too sure about it for the first hundred hours, but yeah, now that I've gotten into it, it's, it's, it's great. I love flying it. Well, those are all the rapid fire questions I have. I only have two, really one more question. And then, but before we get there, what, go ahead and explain the koala Instagram real quick. <laughs> so the koala, um, back, uh, back shortly after college, when I was uh, waiting for my class date at, at Masaba, I had, my aunt had worked for them. And 
newest station manager just north of where my parents lived. Uh, so I was throwing bags. Um, I was, we did everything. We did bags, we did ticket counter, we did gate. Um, so it was just a small outstation. Uh, and there was this Australian guy who was, who was over in the States just being a tourist. And he had been here for about a year and a half, I think it was. And he had found this little koala somewhere. And had been carrying it around with him. I really wish I knew what this guy's name was. Um, I'm sure that I looked at it when I checked him in, but um, but he was checking in to go back home. And uh, I had been talking with another agent about you know some some training that I had been doing at the time. Uh, and um, he was so excited to meet a pilot, and in his most awesome Australian accent that I'm not going to try to intimidate because I'll butcher it. He was like, wait, you're a pilot. No way. Here you go. Little lady. This, this guy's been traveling around with me. Now he gets to travel around with you. And like, I didn't have the heart to tell him that I really wasn't flying consistently. Uh, but I was very thankful for the gift. And he sat on my dresser for quite some time because I just didn't really know what to do with him. And had kind of started getting into the social media world uh, a little bit more when I was a flight instructor and then got this job at the at the 91K uh, company and decided, you know what, he's going to get an, uh, he's going to be my little travel buddy on my Instagram. And so just started hashtagging with him and uh, I got stopped. I'm surprised at how small his followers are uh, with with this next little bit. But I got stopped by a flight attendant in Charlotte, actually, uh, who saw him kind of sticking, he sticks his head out of my, out of my flight case. And uh, when I carry him around and got stopped, and she was like, wait, is that Carl the koala? And uh, it was, it was just sort of like, that was the point. I was like, okay, maybe he needs his own Instagram. Uh, so, so now Carl has his own Instagram and that's where I do a lot of my, uh, my flying posts, uh, are, are through Carl. He's kind of my, my captain Roger Victor, if you will, uh, for those of you in the social, social media world. Uh, I don't have quite a cool name for me like Bozo does, like Bozo. Uh, but, uh. But yeah, he's, he's just, I take pictures of him and, and that sort of thing. Like I was in, I brought lobsters home. So I took a picture of him with the, with the lobsters right behind the pedestal. And he's got a couple awesome pictures from the Pilatus and, and that sort of thing. So that's awesome. Well, everyone, so, yeah. go, I'll have to go follow. Cause I don't think I follow that account yet either, but I'll make sure to go follow that. <laughs> uh, I'll make sure to keep up with Carl. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. Let's, let's hope that uh, let's hope that Carl gets to keep flying here. Yeah, let's hope Carl first. doesn't get furloughed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Save Carl. It'll be a new hashtag going around Instagram. Save, yeah, there we go. Save <laughs> Carl, the, new, the newest hashtag. All right. Well, the last question I have for you is going to be: you could give someone, someone who's listening to this podcast, to reach out to you. They just if you they just are looking for some advice. You give them three tips, three kind of uh, just quick, short words of advice or whatever you might be for someone that wants to get into this career and this is your opportunity, what would you give them? Uh, three tips. Uh, number one, uh, the only stupid question is one that's not asked. 
um, especially when you're starting out. Um, you know, what's an aileron is not a stupid question. Uh, is you know, you've probably never thought about how an airplane turns. Um, so yeah, there's no stupid questions. Um, go ahead and ask them, uh, even if it feels stupid. Um, and if your instructor rolls their eyes and tells you it's a stupid and stupid question, get a different instructor. Um, let's see. Number two, you're always, always learn, always learn. Uh, learning doesn't stop after you get your private instrument commercial ATP. Um, there's always something new to learn. Um, I, it's one of the, it's one of the joys of, of getting to fly different airplanes. Um, you know, I've, you have a thousand hours on, on a Pilatus. I have 1200 hours on it. I, I'd be lying if I told you that I knew everything about that airplane. Um, cause there's, there's a lot of things that I don't know. Um, and E-175, I'm current on it right now. And I, nope, don't know everything about it. Uh, don't ever expect to know everything about it. Um, so you're always learning. And the last one is things are never going to be static. Um, things are bad right now. Uh, the aviation industry is in quite the tail slide. Um, but it's not always going to be like that. Uh, things are going to come back. Uh, we'll always need pilots. Um, even even the people who say that computers are going to take over, they're wrong. Are, are you going to get into a computer, uh, an airplane with no pilot in it? Um, I, I know I'm not. Uh, so, you know, we're always going to need pilots. Um, the job will be there once all this is over. Um, it's going to be hard sometimes, but it's going to be great sometimes. And those great times are what get you through the hard times. Very, very true. Those are good three tips, three words of advice. Andrea, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. I look forward to this episode coming out and people being able to hear your story. Uh, thank you again. Look forward to following Carl the koala and seeing how good his story is as well. And the new hashtag save Carl. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate it. Aviation thank you for listening to this episode of the Pilot the Pilot podcast. If you'd like to follow us on Instagram, follow us at Pilot the Pilot. Leave us a review on iTunes. All the reviews help. Five stars would be greatly appreciated. So if you haven't done so, please do that. Might be doing another giveaway here in the next month or two about uh, if you leave a review, you have the opportunity to win. So go ahead and do that. And also, like I said, please check out our new hats. The camo trucker hat is so sweet. ShopPilotThePilot.com. I'm going to be getting some. Uh, I mean, it's a pre-order, so I don't know when they're exactly going to be done. Coronavirus and COVID has kind of pushed back some of that timeline. So it might take a month from when you order it before they even ship it to me and then I can ship it to you. But the best way to secure your hat is via pre-order. So please do that. ShopPilotThePilot.com. And I really, really appreciate it. Aviation, that's all I have for you. I hope you guys are having a great day. And as always, happy flying.